Hello everybody! It's actually been quite a long time since I've recorded one of these introductions for our latest episode. We thought we would take a little break because Victoria ended up going back to the UK, but now she's ended up staying there for many more months than we thought she would be gone for. So we are committed to bringing you more fascinating episodes and interviews. So we're going to get going, get started back with this again very soon. We're going to start trying to get an episode out every two weeks. I think that that's what's realistic with our time change and trying to connect. But we've already set up time. Once every two weeks, we're going to do a session and we'll have something for you. Branding is also uh, here in Bali with me. So that is wonderful. And so Brandon and I together will be doing some online sessions with Victoria and bringing you hopefully some really fascinating content. And today I'm really excited to share with you this uh, latest episode, which is with Julius Caesar. And I have to say that Julius Caesar is probably one of the reasons that I even did this podcast in the first place. I've always sort of, I think, secretly harbored a desire to speak to him and we got to, and that was so exciting. And who was Julius Caesar? I think everybody's heard the name and has a general idea. So he was born in 100 BC. He was assassinated on March 15th, the Ides of March in 44 BC. So he was around over 2000 years ago. There's actually a lot of information about that time that exists because they had, I guess, kept a lot of records and a lot of them have survived. So he was from a high-class Roman family, and he ruled in different forms. There's a lot of different political positions that he held throughout his life. And then he became a very powerful general in the military. And I think a lot of the senators were very concerned that he was becoming too powerful because the army supported him and or felt more loyal to him than they did to the Senate and the government. And that is probably why he was assassinated, which is at the height of his power. And I think the people were really upset about this. And it's funny that when you try so hard to stop something without really thinking it through, often, you know, you get exactly that. So they were worried that he was going to declare himself a dictator. And of course, after Caesar is when it became, you know, all the decades of empire with these big emperors. Caesar was never an emperor. Um, he took on those powers for a few days, I think, to try to get some things done, but he never was a self-declared emperor. And that came after, and they got rid of him trying to avoid that, and it still happened. Funnily enough, I think he's also famous for never or hardly ever losing a battle. He was a brilliant general, but he was also a great speaker and he just understood. I think he's just a very intelligent man and he just understood. He could see how this, all the pieces fit together and how it all works. And he appealed to the people. I think he was a populist in many ways. A couple of the things that came up that we talked about or that you'll get to hear in, in this session is, you know, what was his personal life really like? You know, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Julius Caesar did hook up with Cleopatra in real life. They had a son named Caesarian. 
yeah, that was a real thing. And they were together for a number of years and she went to Rome and it's really like an incredible story. There's so much drama happening at this time. It's hard to keep track of actually all the different alliances and allegiances and betrayals that are constantly happening and changes of allegiances. Something we talk about is, you know, why why did he name Octavian his heir and not his actual son? How did he feel about what happened and how he was assassinated? What are his thoughts on the current U.S. empire and, and how that relates to his reign? How did he justify all the land that he annexed um, from other territories? Also, just a lot more on his thoughts and ideas and what kind of a person he was. I really think that that's what came through the strongest in this interview was who this man really was and it's fascinating and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy listening to it. Hello everybody. We're doing something a bit different this week. Victoria is not with us. She is in England back home visiting her family in some charming little village apparently. So this is the first time we've done this on Zoom with you. We did it on Zoom with Brandon once, but now we're doing it with you. And Brandon is not here today. So it's just the two of us. We're gonna see how this all goes. And Victoria, I only just told her today or just now who we're gonna do. And I want to do Julius Caesar because we recently did Cleopatra. And I have a lot of history with Julius Caesar in that I read the whole series, the first man in Rome series, which like each book is this thick. And there's six of them, I think, in the series written by Colleen McCullough, extremely well-researched, very detailed. And I was really into all of that when I read it. Of course, even now reading through it, the history, a lot of it's coming back to me. And I remember the sort of certain feel of different people involved. But I'm excited to approach this history and this very important part of history from a completely different angle, which is through Vic. So what are your thoughts about doing Julius Caesar today? I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed doing Cleopatra and just that whole period of history. I didn't realize how much there was there. So I feel like there's kind of an endless pit of where it could go, or what we could find out. Yeah, and so many interesting characters, too. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every single person who's known in history, we could always talk to them and try to put all the different pieces together. If this person was associated with this person, well, let's get this guy's opinion on it. So maybe there'll be some more people other than just Caesar that we end up talking to today, but we'll see. And for those of you who don't know, Julius Caesar, or Gaius Julius Caesar, I believe his name was, he is considered to be the best military general in history. He was a part of so many battles. He was victorious in so many battles. His political maneuverings were incredible. Very competent, intelligent guy. So he was a Roman general who lived and he was assassinated on the Ides of March, as most people know, which is the 15th of March in 44 BC. He was 55 years old. And he was born in 100 BC, exactly, which I think is interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that we're talking about 2,000 years ago. That's a long time ago. And yet a lot of documentation still exists from this time, from contemporaries 
keeping track of the minutes from the Senate. There's libraries. There's a lot of information about this time. And he's even written his own books. So there's a sense of who he was, but it was also acknowledged that he was writing those books for the Roman public and therefore embellishing it a little bit. Yeah. So that's the general thing, just a general from a long time ago who everybody knows his name today because he did incredible things and stood out way far above the rest in his time. Let's see what he has to say. Okay, let's. Do you have an idea of like where you want this to go? Do you have questions and things? I do have questions. I think a lot of it is just wanting to get a sense of who he was. Okay. There's a couple mysteries around, did he do this or did he not? Some people said he was involved in this. Was he, was he not? I mean, we can ask those things, but it's almost more like getting a sense of the man himself and what was his character like and what were his thoughts on things or the times or certain people, that kind of thing. Okay. Right. Let's see if he wants to talk. Well, the first feeling I have, because you said something like he did loads of great things. And I was thinking, and also probably a lot of horrible things. And immediately, like, it's not really that I'm getting a person. It feels like I'm hearing the clinking of swords and things and just hearing, like, so much bloodshed. That's the immediate impression I'm getting rather than having a person come through. Mm. I think he's probably there with it and he'll step forward in a bit, but getting the scene around it and bloodshed is what's coming to me. There was a lot of bloodshed. And it feels like to take a lot of land, to expand the empire, a lot of terrible things had to be done. Yeah, there's, I think, I guess, on two different fronts, there was a lot of this military expansion of Rome that he led, and like the subjugation of France and England, for example, but also a lot of bloodshed in like civil wars yeah it's internal and external yeah it's internal and a lot of internal strife and bloodshed and massacres and uh, i mean i know that's what leads to his assassination anyway it's internal isn't it that Mm -hmm. yeah but i'm definitely seeing internal and external bloodshed but i see him as like being on the top of the pile so it doesn't feel like he's directly involved in too much of it Like, I'm sure there are times when he genuinely does fight, but he kind of feels like the puppet master above everyone, like pulling the strings. Yeah, like the general giving the orders. Yeah. And there's this feeling with it. Let me check that. I want to say I like it. I mean, not me, him. He likes that feeling. Oh, yeah, it feels kind of creepy in a way. Um... (laughs) Like in what sense? I want to get deeper. Do you really like that? You know, are you a psychopathic person who likes being in control and killing people? Or is it, where does that feeling come from? Because I feel like there is a genuine person under there. I don't feel like he's a psychopath. He feels very righteous. So there's this feeling of this belongs to me. I have the right to be this person and do these things like really ingrained in him almost like God-given, you know how like a king or a queen, they say they're anointed, appointed by God. He kind of has that feeling. Where does that come from? The justification for that feeling? He's saying by birth, like it's his birthright, but I don't 
no, that's because, you know, it doesn't feel like king and a queen, like he was born a prince. I think it's more that's who I was born to be rather than the family he comes from. But the first instinct you had is that it's the family he comes from or like he said by birth. Yeah, he said by birth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I'm sure he probably was on a soul level destined for this life, but they have different families in Rome and there's aristocratic levels and well, all the people like in the Senate, they're all from these sort of older families. So his family said, oh, we come from like this line of people. And on one side, we're descended of Aeneas and Aeneas was the son of a deity. And so that family in Rome was considered to be somewhat divine. Okay. Just by the virtue of his name and okay. their history. So he does feel like he's born to do this then. Yeah. So I could see how he'd be like as a kid being like, oh, did you know you come from this long line? And mm. we go back to the gods. We're descended from the gods. And his ego feels quite pumped up. It feels like, I'd say his whole life, he feels ready to do this, prepared to do this. Even as a child, I'm feeling, he feels very confident. I don't feel much fear in him. Unless this is just how he's presenting himself and behind that, we'll get to that, we'll see. But right now it feels like, I can see a little kid like, hmm, I'm gonna be this one day. And he's prepared for it. Hmm. And where does that come from? Because it's not like, you know, they had the name and all, but it's not like his relatives were super high up politically. I believe that if we know we're going to have a certain role in this life, that our characteristics, so down to like astrology and our human design and all these things and what our blueprint is, we've meticulously planned out before we incarnate so that we can embody those characteristics. So if you're meant to be like a kinder, more loving leader, then maybe your blueprint will be different to someone that needs to be more ruthless, maybe like Julius Caesar. So it'd be interesting to look at his astrology or something like that. But I feel that a lot of it, I'd say it's probably leo energy in there or something somewhere in his chart because it feels like this fiery egotistical showman and that he grew up like that because that's just part of his nature right yeah well who were his early influences i'm hearing stuff he read about in books so there were previous warlords or leaders that inspired him stories he was told about conquerors it feels like that fed his desire to be someone gave him an example of who he could be and that was mostly from books not from real people that he knew I feel like it was more books he read or stories he was told so that could be stories he's told from people around him, but I don't necessarily feel like from a young age, he knew those people directly. Was it like the sense that you're saying about how it's a little bit creepy? Do you think this was a desire for power or accolades or more because he felt he was doing the right thing? I can see him standing in front of a crowd of people 
and having his hand out, like beating his chest and wanting everyone to, people cheering him on, screaming his name. I see that happening. That probably did happen. It feels, uh, trying to see if this is a personal thing or is he thinking about everyone else? Is he thinking about where the world is going? Or is he just thinking about what he wants? He's saying they're one and the same. It's like his energy is so strong and his internal energy, his power feels so solid that that's just kind of spreading out all over the continent and further. Just feels like a really, obviously, a really, really strong leader with a mission. I'm like, has anyone done this much? You could say maybe Alexander the Great, maybe Genghis Khan, but I beyond was just that, thinking Genghis Khan and like Asia, he's that of Europe and North Africa or wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he was known for some pretty big reforms that helped people, like especially war veterans, making sure that they were given land when they came back. That was one of his big things, making sure the veterans were all taken care of reducing taxes on farmers who couldn't pay you know he changed the calendar to make it the calendar that we use today and apparently because it was based on the egyptian solar calendar it helped the farmers a lot or something because they were able to then more clearly plan when things were but i don't know if that's why he did that necessarily but it's interesting i guess you could ask him yeah what was the purpose of changing the calendar I don't feel like I'm getting an answer for that. Did you know that that's why the month of July is named after Julius Caesar? And August is named after Augustus. <laughs> okay. I'll have to look up what it was before. I feel like to talk about the people, though, because him saying that his agenda and what the world needs is one and the same. Yeah, so what does that mean? Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like he would needlessly slaughter his own people. He doesn't feel like a traditional dictator that we'd know from more modern times. I do genuinely feel like he cares. That's nice. He may not have been so in the lower classes and the poorer people. But I feel like there is this trickle down effect that he does care. And he knows that to stop internal war, he needs to be on the side of the people. Because if he doesn't give them what they want, then it feels like there would be some kind of revolution or uprising where then they'd side with someone else who's offering to give them that. So again, it begs the question, is it politically motivated, his support of the people? Mm. You say he does care. I think it always is to some extent. It has to be. You're a politician. You have to be politically motivated. I'm feeling that then the end of his life doesn't feel like it's because the people don't like him and what he's done. It's because the people on his level don't like him. You're bang on with that. The people were pissed when they killed him. Mm. And it was a lot of these reforms 
that he implemented on behalf of the people that started to anger the elites who are all the senators and other people in government. And they're the ones, do you know much about his assassination? Like where it happened and all that? So I started watching that Cleopatra documentary on Netflix and they all stabbed him in some kind of room. Yeah, he was okay. assassinated in the Senate by the senators. Crazy. Yeah, 50, or what is it? Some huge number of stab wounds and only one that proved fatal. Whoa. Out of all of them, like, stabbing him. It's insane, really. Yeah, it's the feeling that no one wants one man to have that much power. And it's a threat when the people like the leader to all the other people who have their ideas of what they want to happen if people like the current leader they're not going to want change and that means they're never going to have a way in and i kind of feel i don't feel like julius caesar was completely shut off from external input in his reign i don't feel like he was a complete dictator i feel like he would have consulted people yeah, it's interesting. At one point, he convinced one of the tribunes or something to give him dictatorial power over an election so that he could oversee the election. Because they had these terms, like usually there's two consuls elected every year. I don't know if it's every year, every two years, but there would be two of them. And then they kind of ruled things. And it was just getting messy with everybody. So he said, give me this power and I'll be the dictator and make sure this election's done properly. And then the election happened with, of course, the person that he liked ended up winning. So who knows if it was done fairly or not. And then he gave it up after 10 days of being dictator. But then later, I guess once he won the civil wars, when the elite turned against him, then he was acclaimed populist dictator dictator for life he was given like shortly before he died mm. so well, all of that really just came in the end and i guess that's another question is this political trajectory that he was on he really went through all these different steps and climbing the ladder and being granted different powers greater powers along the way and setting up like a triumvirate these alliances with different people that were always shifting what was his ultimate aim? Mm. Did he always have a grand plan or did it just one step at a time and get to the next little rise in the hill and say, oh, I can do this next? I don't get the sense there was a grand plan. He doesn't feel that calculated. Because like I said, it's one and the same him and the people. And so he's not all out for himself and thinking, I want to take all of this land. I want to be this person. It does feel like a step-by-step -step situation. I don't feel like he had some grand plan for Egypt, but it feels like he meets people and then that shifts him in a different direction. So there are external influences, but they're natural ones. So maybe people he was meant to meet for his trajectory to continue and decide which way it's going to go. Yeah, because he would have to set up these different alliances with different people to be able to get elected, right? Because they weren't really set parties. Later on, there were the Republicans versus the people for the Republic versus the ones for Caesar, I guess, or different factions like that. But he did have to 
collaborate with other politicians most of his career and concede here and give a bit there in exchange for just like a politics these days, right? Okay, you support me, okay, I'll back your bill. And I'm hearing be charming enough as well, especially ah. people outside of their state and country. Meaning with foreign rulers? Yeah. And that's what I wonder if he wasn't always just thinking I'm representing Rome here, I'm representing the people of Rome. So I need to be gracious and charming. And then also I need to take over these lands for these people. He likes fighting, obviously, but maybe he was doing it just for the greater glory of Rome. He does feel like he cares about Rome. He doesn't want them to be considered barbarians, people who just go and take. So it's like he will go and create an alliance with a foreign leader and it will feel more like it's harmonious than it is him taking. He doesn't feel like he's out for destruction and he's just going to go and take what he wants. Rome needs to be seen as this charming, politically correct, almost respectful, like they have honour. Honour feels like a big word. So if someone disrespects them and they lose honour, then yeah, they probably kill them. But they don't just kill leaders unnecessarily. It's like there's a process to go through. Respect and honour feel like really big words. That's another one of the reforms that he was famous for was granting citizenship to people within the empire, like far away, because of course the elites are like, no, Roman citizenship is only for people in Rome and for our people. And he really pushed through, no, let's give these people over in Israel or other countries, let's give those people citizenship because then they feel like they're part of Rome and it makes the empire more secure or it yeah. wasn't an empire yet. So it makes the Republic more secure, which I think is just very liberal. He's very liberal he actually and, and populist. Kind of loving in a way because it doesn't feel like, oh, they're these disgusting, dirty, lesser than groups of people because they're foreign, which I think so many other leaders had at the time and in the course of history in general, it feels more like these are more people. They're just people. They're on par. I don't mm. feel so much judgment from him that other leaders and countries are doing it wrong. It feels like there's this understanding that that's the way they live, but he wants to include them. And I see Rome being the centre and just wanting to spread out this power and this strength, but not in a way that's taking it, but that is saying, come home, kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure about how it went with the Gauls, because there's so many different Gallic tribes. And then I think he was defeating them like one by one. I think he really did crush those guys. And one of the big leaders, I always known from the Asterix comics books, the Versailles I forget how you say it, but he paraded it in the triumph. He loved having triumphs. And some of the conflicts he had with people were when they said that we're going to tell the Senate to not allow him to have a triumph for this victory or that victory. And like you said, he loves the accolades. And there was a note that I read that there was one, oh yeah, one of his first battles, he won this crown. And 
if you wear the crown, anytime you walk into the Senate, everybody has to stand up. And I think that gave him his first taste of, oh, this is nice. Mm. Getting everybody to worship me. Yeah. And then that part of it. So he really loved to yeah, triumph and with all the barbarians or whatever that he'd conquered and bring them through. But he did put them to death and Cleopatra's sister was paraded around. And that's why she didn't want that to happen to her, which is part of why she committed suicide, apparently. It feels like that yeah. would happen to people, though, that resist him. So if they're willing to have a conversation, there's respect and honour there, but he sees that as no respect and no honour. So then they deserve to be punished in that way. And it's like the beginning when I said bloodshed. Terrible things happen too. And yes, there's love and wanting to include the people, but if the leaders aren't going to meet him with respect, then he's not going to respect them. Hmm. It's interesting that you say that because what I noticed and what I was reading is that he was always open to diplomacy and he would pause and be like, okay, guys, let's talk. Let's work out something. And then they're like, no, or they couldn't work it out or something. And then he would keep fighting, but it was never all about fighting. No, It was about, yeah, getting the submission and the alliances sorted out or and these other foreigners like they didn't have to do that they didn't have to agree to what he wanted they wanted their own country their own land but then it caused a real shitstorm it was like it's like too bad you don't get it <laughs> i'm curious about his decision to march on rome so i don't know if you've heard about the famous crossing of the rubicon which sort of initiated the civil war. Basically, the Senate of Rome declared war on Caesar. They said, because he was the given appointment. So he's a general. He was given this appointment to go to Gaul and subdue those tribes. It's going to last for this long. And now it's time to come home. And he said he didn't want to come home because if they revoke his license, I guess, to go fight these wars, then I think he perceived perhaps that he was losing power. And so he ended up saying no, and then made the decision to march on Rome, which is when he crossed the Rubicon, which is how it's referred to that expression, right? About, okay, no, going back now. Like mm -hmm. is a big decision. You're really plant drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is where I stand and let the cards fall where they may. Okay. So the question is, what did that feel like? What was that like for him, that whole incident around that decision of basically going to war with his own country? I'm hearing I did it for my own country. Why? He doesn't want power to fall into the hands of the other people. They're not safe with them. They have more of an agenda than I do. What was their agenda? It does actually feel darker, energetically. It's like it's more than one person. And I see like these dark tentacles going out from each of them and spreading across a map. I don't think, not that he was really, really kind and he didn't do terrible things, but I don't feel these people are as kind and as forgiving as he was. And is he referring to the people of Rome not being safe with them? Greater than that, the whole empire. Oh, really? That they might be taken advantage of or something. 
just feel like their intentions aren't as pure. And then I feel like, so these people get rid of Caesar, say, and then there's maybe like five or more of them in a circle looking at each other. And then it's who are we going to attack next? So their focus is on power and fighting against each other rather than it is caring about the people. So then it feels like maybe the people would fall to shit and their lives wouldn't be as good because everyone's so preoccupied with a power struggle that they're forgetting about what really matters, which is people. So in his mind, it's almost a moral obligation. Yeah. He can't stand down now. He can't give up. I feel like he would rather die fighting for the people than run away to save himself. He wouldn't flee to another country mm. and run away and hide, I don't feel. Yeah. Now, after reading that series, I always just thought he was so cool. Who would you want to meet? I always have Julius Caesar. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure he did many terrible things, but I also just have a lot of respect for, I think, the choices he made in his life. Yeah, we're not maybe so personal or so selfish all the time. Mm. And so now that you're talking to him more, can you tell me a little bit more about his character? Mm. If you met him at a cocktail party and were telling your friends about him, what would you say? I feel like charming, quick-witted, has a real presence, a confidence. This energy that kind of pulls me in. Also, it could be a slight fear of him because he feels very confident and direct. So he would ask for what he wants. I can't quite put it into words. I'm going to try though. I just feel a lot in my chest, like this pulling towards him. Is that because he was sexy? <laughs> I don't know if it was purely his looks that drew people in. I think it's the energy of him. It's the confidence and the charm. I would guess that for sure. Classic man I would fall for. Yeah. <laughs> if he walked in a room, everyone would stand still and look. Probably partly because they knew who he was. But he has this air about him. He's not like one... I'm just comparing him to... I'm thinking of like medieval English monarchs that, you know you've got the king that kind of hides away because he's got a limp or some kind of deformity or something and he walks in a room and you're like, that's the person leading this country? What the fuck? <laughs> Julius Caesar walks in a room and it feels like this is the man leading an empire. Yeah. Makes sense. And so how do we get into his personal life? Yeah, I'm feeling that now. I'm like, how did he act around partners or children was there a different Julius Caesar at that point feels like he always needed to keep a high percentage of that persona even in his personal life so it could feel to the people around him there's this coldness to him but that's not because he doesn't love them that's also his way of protecting them of staying this person like I do think he does care but they need not be so involved in his political life. He kept it very separate. Yeah, although I'd say 
Cleopatra feels kind of different, but I don't think he wanted her involved in his political life. But because she was almost the equivalent, very masculine, powerful woman, she managed to. And being a monarch herself. Yeah, but him entering that relationship doesn't feel like he wanted that. He thought he would be his usual self and she would kind of be a bit of a puppet. And then he'd have his way into Egypt. So she challenges him, but he wasn't expecting that. And then whoever he was with before that, I don't think she had any, let alone as much power as Cleopatra. No. I mean, over him personally or just power in general? Well, over him, she feels like she's just below kind of thing. So the question I would have is who did he love? Because you said, you know, that he loved people. So who were the yeah. people in his life that he loved the most? And was he really capable of love in that way or was it all? Yeah. Game. And I don't mean game in an evil way. There's not. I know what you mean. I just think when someone has this mission and this agenda, there's not really room. It's not a priority. No, which kind of feels sad. I feel more sad for his children. I don't feel like they really got much of a loving father in a way that children would deserve to. I feel like his true love was Rome. Interesting. Yeah, he had a daughter, and her name is Julia. So how did he feel about her? I think that's more where the protection comes in, because I don't think he would have planned for a daughter to have the kind of life that he had. I don't think a woman would have ever at that time in Rome been considered like, oh, you can come into power. It's not like you're my child and you'll be the queen. So I do feel like he does care and he wants to protect them, but they don't feel as worthy as, say, like protecting a male heir. Interesting. He married her off to another general, to Pompey, who he ended up being in a civil war against, but she died in childbirth before that happened. Yeah, I don't feel that much energy between him and her so much. She doesn't feel like, it, this is a game of chess. She's a pawn rather than a knight. Or yeah. She's not a big piece. She's not an important piece, which sounds really horrible to say about your child. No, that makes sense. A lot of it was about marriage alliances and stuff like that back then, right? Like, okay, I'll give you this. We'll be partnered. And to solidify that bond, you're going to marry my sister, my, you know, yeah. you know how we said how... Mark Antony had to marry Octavian's sister when they made up. Okay. And how did he feel about his son with Cleopatra? Because I was a boy. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling this need to keep him hidden. I think I remember last time that he didn't claim the boy as his own. Yeah, he never acknowledged him yeah. publicly. Yet. So from him on that, I feel him needing to keep him hidden behind him but why is that there's a fear of something that just feels too threatening 
not for him, but for the rest of Rome, it feels too different. It's one thing Rome colonizing, bringing Egypt into the empire, but joining two forces and having them be equal by saying, this child will be my heir, that would cause even more civil war and tension within. I don't know if he would mind that though. Julius Caesar. He doesn't feel threatened by that. That feels equal. I would imagine that someone with his level of ego would relish the idea of having a male heir. But then again, in his will, he named his great nephew and not Caesarian, who was still alive at the time. But I think it's like you said, he always wanted to keep Egypt and Rome separate. And And when you say fair, I think actually he would want to keep the boy safe because if he labeled him heir, he would have been killed instantly. Yeah. And he was anyways, by Julius Caesar's own heir. There we go. (laughs) What's your feeling around his heir, Octavian? I don't feel anything terrible so far. (laughs) It feels different, and I'm kind of sad that it's no longer Caesar. Feels like a different direction. He doesn't feel as strong. Does he last very long? Octavian? I think he was like a kind of scrawny. I don't really know, actually, but no, he was, he ended up big time. He was the one who really turned Rome into an empire and expanded the lands and solidified that whole thing because when he comes in after caesar's death it doesn't feel very i don't feel this immediate strength it just feels very different to caesar it doesn't feel like as much of a energetic presence i'm also not sure how old he was i mean caesar was only 55 when he died and this kid was his great nephew like his sister's grandchild Oh, God, yeah. So he couldn't have been that old, and it's possible just that he hadn't come into his own because he then did join up in another triumvirate with Mark Anthony because they banded together to fight the senators that had murdered Caesar, and they won that war. Interesting, because I was wondering, once Caesar's killed, did they kill him so they could take power, and they didn't get power, and it just went to his heir? Uh, yes, eventually, but there was a war fought in between. So I don't know that they would have acknowledged his heir, but he was named dictator for life at that point, And he was able to appoint one and they did read his will out in public. And so it would have been public that this is the heir, Caesar's appointed heir. But I think that's the expectation is that it would go to that person. I thought maybe it was some kind of coup. I think probably. And whether it was just to stop certain policies that he just put through, or if they really wanted to seize power and just change everything, I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel glad that they didn't make it. Me too. I said earlier, there was that darkness coming out of all of them. I'm like, oh, that's not good. So I would have thought it would have been them coming into power, but no, okay, it's his great nephew. Yeah. Because they didn't have the support of the people. The people were not happy that they had murdered Caesar. And Mark Antony was Caesar's friend. And he found out about the plot the night before from some senator. 
and tried to intercept Caesar and tell him to not go, but they figured out that he would probably do that. So they had someone intercept Mark Antony. So he wasn't able to warn Caesar like he tried to. And then when he heard all the clashes happening in the Senate house, I think he ran away. But then after that, he always wanted to avenge him. It's interesting, right? Because then Mark Antony ends up with Cleopatra. Yeah. So a couple questions from where he's at now, looking at what happened to him in the Senate. What are his thoughts around that? I'd say it doesn't actually feel expected from him. There is a sense of shock in a way. I think there's part of him saying that's part and parcel of being me and being a leader like you. He's assassinated people. Why wouldn't he be assassinated? But there does feel like there's a bit of shock there that it happened in that moment. But would he have gone anyway? If Mark Antony had got to him and said, don't go here because they're going to do this. I feel like he's the kind of person who would go anyway. And fought them hand to hand. Yeah, or been prepared to say something. He doesn't feel like he fears death. He's saying he respects death. And he'd rather die with honour. That wasn't an honourable death because they didn't give him a chance to fight back. So they're dishonourable. Shame on them. They chose the easy way. And then I feel like clapping and being really happy that they never made it into power. Yeah. <laughs> so he's probably happy about that too. Yeah. How does he feel about Mark Antony ending up with Cleopatra? He doesn't feel like he minds. No. No, anything deeper there? He feels like a really accepting guy. He's it's probably like, happy that he's there to take care of her for him. Yeah, and history needs to move on. Is that what he said? Yeah, it feels like that. Like, he's been thinking about the bigger picture and wanting the expansion and Rome to stay Rome to be in the hands of good people and he just sees it all as well yeah it'd be natural that you'd make an alliance with this person and then this would happen he cares more about the evolution of roman and how history will progress than he does about his personal shit okay that makes sense having such a big mission and all how does he view the u.s empire since he's an empire builder himself, how does he view the biggest empire the world's ever seen, which is the United States, which is happening right now? What are his views on that? Okay. So funny. Okay. I feel like he's disgusted by it because, again, coming back to honor, is that there is no honor in the way that modern people have led and choose to lead. It's all sneaky and dishonorable, disrespectful. They don't care about the people. It feels like it's been a really long time since someone of his caliber has led anywhere in the world. Like history, well, the future to him has shifted so much that we just don't rule or fight like the way he did. It's so far removed from the world he lived in. It really is. 
It's very black and white. You want to take over, you go bring your army and you go march on them. Not this like cyber warfare, propaganda and all that stuff. Does he have any advice for us now to lead more honorable lives? And is that what we need to be doing? It feels like it's too far gone. Really? What does he see happening? There needs to be a complete dissolution of the current way. It's all getting confused and mixed up in my vision here. And maybe that's what he's trying to show me because I'm seeing different things, feeling different things, hearing different things, and it all feels like too much. And then it was almost like, yeah, complete dissolution needs to fall back into the earth or something because everything's been built up really high and it all needs to come crashing down. If Brandon were here, he'd say, yep, yep. That's <laughs> what I've been told. Because <laughs> that's what I think these NDE friends of his have said, is the whole system is going to come down and we're going to be living these very simple lives back in touch with the earth, small communities. It's interesting, though, because it doesn't feel like it will be completely reverted to how it was say Julius Caesar's time because we know too much we've seen too much we've lived too much to get rid of all of that and the luxuries and things and the ways we live but also it does feel like there's this calling for more simpler times and I do feel like people are moving towards that now it's just the main structure the structure feels weak. I'm really curious to see how that's going to all turn out. Yeah. Where we'll be in 20 years from now. Looking at this Julius Caesar stuff, I mean, I was saying I was clapping that the dark power didn't take over and he got to continue. I felt hope there. Because right now it feels like, oh God, are the dark power is going to take over and completely change the course of history. I'm like, well, but there's proof that good things have happened too. Yeah. Energetically, what happened then with Julius Caesar feels good. Okay, he didn't need to be assassinated, but in the end, the good people feel like they came through. So why can't that happen? It can, and it will. I think yeah. so too. Okay, a couple last questions. What is he most proud of in his life, in that life? The way he cared for the people. Also the way he held himself. But it actually feels humble. On a whole, his energy feels really humble. He's not this huge, egotistical, horrible person that, yes, he's kind of got an inflated ego and the confidence, but it doesn't feel arrogant. It just feels like who he is and who he's meant to be. What is he most ashamed of or wishes that he had done differently? It feels like it's only on the other side once you've passed that you really see how much pain you cause people so in his life it was normal to kill people that's just of that life yeah. but it feels like afterwards you see how much bloodshed there was it, even though that was normal it still feels like there's time to repent for that or just some acknowledgement is needed of yes, I was a ruler and I did good things, but I also did bad things. So like in his life review, they would have addressed that for a bit. 
Yeah, and I think the goal is for people to lead on Earth without needing this violence and destruction. So I'm getting the sense that leaders throughout all time when they pass, it's like, let's review how you led. Let's show you an alternative to how people can lead without killing. But we're not. And <laughs> we're not there yet. Has he come back as a leader since then? I was just thinking, I wonder if that's the case. Would he try and lead again? in a different way. I feel like he would. I feel like he could even be here now. I was imagining him coming back as a politician now. Is he Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? <laughs> Is that who you want him to be? Yeah. I was feeling he'd definitely be UK or US, but then even UK feels like little fish. He's too big for that. He could be. I don't feel like yes or no, but I feel like he could be. And I just think it'd be interesting for someone like him to come back as like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. Somebody who had led through peace without violence. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting well, to see how he would do with that. Over 2000 years, he's probably had many lives in between that. So yeah. he could have been a peaceful leader as well. Are there any lives in particular since Julius Caesar that he thinks were of note for him that taught him something good? I feel like his one after Julius Caesar would have been a smaller life as one of the people. And like you said, it feels important for him to see, to be on the other side, to see who you can look up to, how it feels to be led by somebody. And yes, it's a lesser life in a sense that he didn't, do so much on earth but it feels really important for his soul's evolution as a leader he feels like a very leading soul well i think it's good if he's here now because we need people like that around yeah and, so and i think he might not that. even be a politician he could be someone leading in a different sense like he could be a doctor he could be the leader of a company. Yeah. Just one last question that I know, because I wanted to, and part of why I wanted to do this podcast with him was on our last one with Cleopatra, we talked about how they had this like really intense, like fiery relationship. Is that what he would say as well? Would this be like the time where he wasn't Mr. Keep it all together, cool all the time? I think it's going back to what I said about him thinking she'll just be another alliance and kind of chess piece in the game and then realizing shit she's going to meet me here that's where the conflict was and the tension and but that, did you like that I think she liked it more than he did but it's not that he doesn't like it he could have just got rid of her I'm hearing I did adore that woman but in a passionate frustrating kind of way like she's not just submitting to me so it's fun for him to have this challenge. And at the same time, it was dangerous. So I don't feel like he could fully let himself, like his heart open and really be in it with her because he needed to keep this composure. So yeah, she was temptress in a way. 
of asking him to open and crack a bit, but he couldn't fully because he had to stay on guard all the time. Yeah, but she threw him off his game a little bit. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It was so fun for me. I've always been interested in him. So it's cool to just get a little bit of a deeper look into it. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Julius Caesar. Thank you for coming to visit us. And thanks, Vic, for your, as always, amazing interpretation of all the stuff that goes on in your head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we'll say goodbye for now. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you at the next episode. Bye.